everyone, and welcome to another broadcast here on All Things Apostolic. I'm your host, Pastor Jeremy Wilbanks, and this week we have been talking about uh, the demonic and demonic activity and the things that we are seeing that pertain to that in our churches and in our lives today. And we can see it in a lot of different places. We can see it in government. We can see it in uh, culture. We can see it in entertainment. And occasionally it shows up in our church services. And um, and that's what we've been talking about this week. Now, <clears throat> it's important for us not just to know about this tactically or practically, but to know about it theologically. What does the Word of God have to say about it? And how should we understand it as the Word of God talks about it? And uh, this is important for us because it gives us context. It gives us a way to understand well, it lets us know how God feels about it, the way God talks about it, um, and so that's important to us. So let's begin by giving a little larger context to this, and this will help us uh, to understand what all of this means for us as individual saints and for the corporate church body. And uh, so here's some larger context, and this is we're going to read some very familiar passages of Scripture. Um, I'm sure that most of you have considered the spirit world and the demonic, um, the larger spirit world in, in context of these scriptures, but we're going to slow down a little bit and talk about them from these, uh, from these passages. Perhaps the most, um, at least one of the most uh, popular passages of scripture that deal with, that deals with our interaction with the spirit world is what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter six uh, in verse 12 is, uh, probably the, the center focus of that discussion there in chapter six. And it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness, uh, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Uh, that's Ephesians six and 12. Uh, so this is the larger concept, uh, the larger context that scripture puts us in when it comes to dealing with things of the spirit world, uh, and in particular, the battle that we are in, the constant battle that we're in with the spirit world uh, as children of God. And we have to constantly live with the awareness that this is the atmosphere that we're in, that there's no time uh, when we are not in that kind of a battle. And thank God that the Holy Ghost gives us rest, otherwise the battle would wear us out in short order. But uh, the Holy Ghost does help us. And uh, so we're in this constant contention, this constant fight with the spirit world and demonic activity, uh, spirits of darkness, wickedness. It's all there. That's the, that is the constant and present fight that we're in. But I'd like to drill into this subject a little bit further, a little deeper. Um, the popular way that the demonic is discussed um, today is that it's a New Testament thing that it's something that uh, showed up in the New Testament and wasn't really present much in the Old Testament. Um, and that is because uh, the word demonic, uh, demon, demonic, I use that and understand that as kind of a a larger term in which a lot of other things are housed in it. They piece themselves into that concept of the demonic. Uh, and the reason that it's seen as something of a New Testament thing, certainly the exorcism of uh, demons, devils is the most common 
uh, are one of the most common ways that is talked about in the New Testament. But it's seen that way because Jesus uh, seems to be the, well, he's the first that really exercises those. And uh, he casts devils out on many occasions. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the, in the uh, broadcast. But um, this is the idea that this was something that was not present in the Old Testament um, is not exactly a full concept. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's untrue because I think the people that were studying this uh, studied it honestly and truthfully. But the demonic is very, very present in the Old Testament. Um, as we drill into it a little bit deeper, uh, the accuracy of saying that this is just a New Testament thing uh, becomes apparent that it that it is certainly an Old Testament thing as well. And uh, there's no uh, general terminology. Maybe this is one of the reasons it's seen as a New Testament thing is because there's no general terminology in the Old Testament, uh, like the word demon um, uh, or even devil. Sometimes things like that are used, but there is no general terminology there, but there's a range of terms that describe, um, demonic situations and, uh, people's participation with the demonic. Um, so what are the, what is this range of Hebrew terms? There's a lot of them. First of all, there's several, we won't be able to go over all of them, but I'd like to give you at least three just to kind of get the idea in your mind. And then you can kind of look by characteristic uh, as you study the Old Testament, you can look by characteristic and come up with uh, some of your own conclusions and uh, from your own exegesis. So uh, listen to the following passages that introduce to us some of the Hebrew terminology that indicates the demonic and the activity of the demonic in the Old Testament. Uh, one of the first places that we run into it <clears throat> is in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, Verses 15. By the way, this is one of the first places where we run into the word faith, at least translated faith in the Old Testament. Um, most of the time we see faith as faithful. And anyway, so, but this is interesting that Deuteronomy 32 talks about these kind of things and it, and it links them to a lack of faith, uh, a lack of things being established in their lives, in the life of Israel. Uh, Jeshurun is what it's called, is what Israel is referred to in Deuteronomy 32. Uh, and this is what it says. Uh, verse 15 says, but Jeshurun, Israel, uh, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Uh, thou art waxen fat and thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook the God which made him. Notice this, their, uh, their affluence their gaining of wealth, things that should have been blessings became cursings to them because they, they, they grew fat. They grew, uh, heavy. They grew, uh, they grew thick <laughs> is what Deuteronomy 32 says. And it says all of this caused them to forsake the God, which made them. And they lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. That's verse 15, uh, verse 16. They provoked him, provoked God to jealousy with strange gods, Notice this, they started worshiping strange gods with abominations. There's a lot to dig into here uh, that we don't have time. We're trying to get to the point that we want to make out of this. But notice all of this terminology. With abominations provoked they him to anger. Listen to verse 17. Listen to verse 17. They sacrificed unto devils. Uh, the word there, sedim. Sedim. Um, uh, sed, devil. 
uh, or, or uh, demon rather, uh, sedim, devils. They sacrificed unto devils, Hebrew words sedim, uh, and not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom their fathers feared not. So this uh, said or sedim uh, is one of the Hebrew words that indicates demons and uh, the children of Israel were interacting with demons in a worshipful way. This was something that uh, became abhorrent in the eyes of God, that they would participate with the demonic this way, that they would worship demons. Uh, another place that we run into it, and these are just, again, there's so many in the Old Testament, and we're just given a few of them, um, but we run into another very interesting one in uh, Leviticus chapter 16. And verse six, it says, and Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house. Now this is, this is by commandment of God. This is God in the book of Leviticus telling Israel how they're supposed to worship him. And he tells Aaron uh, through Moses, God gives command to Aaron that you're going to bring uh uh, a bullock for your sin offering, which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house. That's Leviticus 16, 6, uh, 16, 7. And he shall take the two goats. You just have to read back and find out about these two goats. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, uh, one lot for the Lord and the other lot, in your King James, it's going to say scapegoat. The uh, One lot for the Lord, one goat for the Lord, and the other for the scapegoat. Now, that word scapegoat, when you look at that in Hebrew, King James, scapegoat, uh, is the word, the Hebrew word Azazel. Azazel. <clears throat> Azazel in Leviticus, ref and when we read Leviticus, it's referring to a location a geographical lo location that is, it's out in the desert. It's a wasteland. It's um, an uninhabitable place. It's a wild place, uh, an uncultivated place. Azazel is referring to a region. In Leviticus, it's referring to a, a region. Um, and this goat that was sent out, Aaron was supposed to lay his hands on that goat. The, the goat that was... Uh, that was belonged to the Lord or belonged to Yahweh. They were supposed to sacrifice without, without even with its skin and everything. It was, it didn't go through the other rituals that other sacrifices went through. It was just offered the Azazel, the goat that was the scapegoat, the Azazel, Aaron was supposed to lay his hand on that goat <clears throat> and confess the sins of Israel. And that goat was supposed to go out into an uninhabitable wilderness, Azazel, uh, an untamed place. Uh, a place that was uncultivated, that was uh, foreboding. It was a place of the demonic. In fact, Azazel, in Leviticus, it's referring to a region. But in ancient Mesopotamian literature, Azazel was the name. It was a proper name of a demon. It was a proper, Azazel was a proper name of a demon. There was a lot that goes into this. And maybe one of these days we'll talk about it. It's enough for this uh, recording today that we know that they are, this is terminology that was attached to, um, this was terminology that was attached to demonic things. Azazel, it, a region that was demonic, a proper, uh, the, the indication of a proper name 
something of a, of a, a personality, a demonic personality, Azazel. Uh, that's there. Uh, in the next chapter in Leviticus, the very next chapter, this was chapter 16 that we just read. In the very next chapter, chapter 17, uh, verse 7, the same imagery is used to describe devils. Uh, let me just read it to you. I'm just going to read part of this verse, um, and you can you can go and read it, the rest of it for yourself. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, a portion of that verse says, and they shall no more, this sounds like Deut- Deuteronomy 32, and they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, no more offer sacrifices unto devils. Uh, the word devils here, uh, Sa'ir, Sa'ir, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, Sa'ir um, is connected to the word Seder, Sa'ir. It was a goat-like demon that inhabited desolate places. A goat-like, notice that. this You could see the connection to Azazel. It was a goat-like demon that inhabited desolate uh, uninhabitable, lifeless places. This was, this is what we're talking about here. Uh, so this is, um, this is a, this is a demonic spirit that is attached to deathly things, um, to uninhabitable things, to uncultivated things, things that are outside of God's purview. It's interesting. Uh, and there's scholarship, there's fairly recent scholarship that has dug into this, uh, that the, when you, when Aaron was to lay his hand on that goat and send it out, into uninhabitable places, un, um, unstructured places, wild places. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of the camp of Israel. And in particular, the tabernacle in the wilderness, all of that is a cultured place. It's a cultivated place. It's a place where, uh, there's the rule of law, but it's not just constitutional law. Like we have in the United States, it's divine law. It's law that came down from heaven and so those things, those sinful things that violate the law, those that part of our nature that Aaron had to go, that part of Israel's nature that Aaron had to go and make atonement for and lay hands and confess, lay hands on that goat and confess the sins of Israel, those unruly parts of Israel's nature and human nature, ours, uh, those unruly, wild, untamed parts were sent out into an unruly, wild and untamed place. It's almost like you send that which is demonic into that which is demonic, and you don't let that which is demonic remain in God's, in God's structure, in God's uh, culture. You just don't let that remain. Uh, so that's another that's other terminology. In Isaiah, there's a reference uh, to a demonic activity, and we're, we, this, we'll, this will be our final example, but there are many in the Old Testament. This will be a final example of demonic description in the Old Testament, Isaiah 34, 14. There's another one in Isaiah uh, 13. Uh, it says this, it says the wild beasts, notice, notice uh, like Azazel goes into the wilderness. Notice how, what the place that Isaiah describes, Isaiah 34, 14, it says the wild beasts of the desert, the wild beasts of the desert, uh, uh, the, the world word there, wild beast, Sayim, Sayim, um, it's talking about desert animals, but Sayim is desert animals that, uh, this may seem odd, but it's desert animals that make a howling noise, desert animals that make, uh, um, they howl. It's a, there's a haunting sound to them. So the wild beasts of the desert, the Sayim shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island. And the satyr, it actually uses the word, the satyr, a goat demon, 
Seder, and the goat demon, the Seder shall cry to his fellow. Interesting here, the screech owl, uh, the screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. This is, by the way, this is what demons are looking for. They're looking for a place to rest. They're looking for a place to inhabit. Um, they're looking for embodiment, if you will. This is part of the description of what demons are looking to do. They are looking for a place to be embodied. Interesting here, the screech owl, uh, the Hebrew word lilit, perhaps even in the name that we might hear from sometime, lilith, the screech owl, uh, one translation calls the, instead of screech owl says night hag. Another translation says night jar, um, night hag. It comes out at night and does tormenting things at night. Um, and it's looking for a place to rest. So there's actually a range of description of the demonic in the old Testament, um, from Sayyir to, uh, to Lilith, to Sayyim, uh, all of these different things. Uh, it's Seder. Um, and then there's others. There's others. Um, there is, there are, uh, one place scripture talks about the Lord sending a lying spirit. Um, I don't know if that's a like a proper description of a, a demon, but it's certainly an interaction with the spirit world. And it had an effect on people. It controlled their actions. It, it had control over them. It had control over them. And so this is, this is the range. This is part, at least part of the range of the description of the Old Testament. All of that was to say that the demonic was very present in the Old Testament, very prominent. It was something that they, that the children of Israel were very accustomed to talking about in a particular way. And this is, this is just some of the terminology that they used to talk about it. So there's quite a descriptive range in the Old Testament uh, used to describe the demonic. In the New Testament, there's also a range that describes demonic activity and even demonic possession. Uh, activity and possession are described with this range. Here is one found in Matthew 17. This is a very well-known story, Matthew 17. A man brings his son to Jesus, uh, and first the man apparently brought his son to the disciples and asked whether or asked for their help in curing their his son, and they weren't able to. The disciples weren't able to, and so the man brought the son to Jesus, and he said, "Your disciples weren't able to." He said, "Could you?" This is this is what he said. He said, "Lord, have mercy on my son." This is interesting language here. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. It's there both in English and in, uh, in Greek. He is a, this is a good translation, lunatic. It uses the Greek word for moon, not luna, but luna is there, uh, I believe Latin. My son is a lunatic. It means he's affected by the moon. This is interesting. Um, it means the moon has an effect on him. Part of the implication here is this is activity that we can count on. Uh, the father says that he is affected by the moon. Uh, uh, some description says that this might've been something like some kind of 
epileptic seizure that would come at certain times, and it was some uh, some way predictable. But Jesus doesn't talk to it like that. Jesus doesn't talk to it like that. In fact, he turns to his disciples and he says, this kind cometh out, cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting, by much prayer and fasting. And then scripture says, he doesn't turn and call the young man lunatic, but he, scripture says he cast out, in your King James, it says he cast out uh, the devil. He cast out the devil, uh, but the Greek word for devil there, and this is most of the time what is translated to in the New Testament, uh, demonion, or some some stem of the word demonion, you can hear demon in it, is most of the time translated devil or devils. Um, and, and so where the father says lunatic, he's affected by the moon, Jesus said, no, uh, I'm going to cast out demonion and maybe Maybe Jesus saw those two things as the same thing. This is just this is this is New Testament terminology for us to consider. Another term that's very prominent, and there are again, there are several in the New Testament. We're just going to touch on two or three. Another term that is prominent in the New Testament uh, is evil spirit. Evil spirit. Acts nineteen five talks about the sons of Sceva or Siva, who tried to cast out an evil spirit. Um, Poneron Pneuma, Poneron Pneuma, uh, from a man, Poneron evil, and Pneuma, you've heard that spirit, Poneron Pneuma, they cast out an evil spirit from a man, and they said, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and they said, that, that spirit said to them, uh, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are ye? And then scripture says that that man who was possessed by that evil spirit jumped on those men and overcame them and uh, and handled them uh, in short order, handled them in short order. So this is, uh, this is another example of another set of terminology or another term that is used to describe the demonic evil spirit. Uh, another example maybe the most prominent, maybe there are two that go back and forth for most prominent. One would be devils or devil. If someone had a demon, the New Testament in King James would say devil or devils. Uh, and then then maybe right there together with, with a lot of prominence, it's one that you've heard a lot. We've just talked about evil spirit Probably the, I would say, if it's not the most prominent, it it's very close. And that would be unclean spirit, unclean spirit. Um, and this is used a lot. All three synoptic gospels use it. Matthew uses it. Um, and Mark uses it. And Luke, Mark more, I think Mark uses it four times. Luke uses it six or seven times. Luke uses, uh, excuse me, Mark uses it six or seven times. Mark uses it more than anybody. Uh, this seems to be kind of a thing with Mark. And so there are, <clears throat> there are prominent uh, stories uh, that are there. Mark really seems to give us details that Luke gives us details. Matthew sometimes gives us details. Mark really gives us details. He doesn't just let us he doesn't just tell us a story, he shows us a story. He puts us in it. He paints it for us with words. 
And so this is, this is, uh, there, there are prominent stories and this is one of Mark's fortes, if you will, to, to demonstrate, to show, to provide detail in this case, in the subject that we're dealing with here to give us details of the demonic. And, uh, there is, uh, there are at least, there's two stories that all three, all three of the synoptic gospels, this is not something that John really gets into, uh, the gospel of John, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do get into this. Mark being the most prominent, at least using the term unclean spirit, using the term unclean spirit. Now let's talk about that for just a second. And then we'll get into probably the most prominent story when it comes to demonic possession and Jesus dealing with it in the new Testament. The most prominent story in the new Testament is the wild man of Gadara. Before we get into that, uh, let's talk about what an unclean spirit is because it gives us insight and maybe makes link back to all of that old Testament stuff that we talked about and, and kind of, um, coalesces all of those different points that we could talk about in both the old and the new Testament. So the idea, the idea of unclean spirit, um, unclean spirit, it is, uh, you've probably heard this in modern, um, language. You talk about somebody that would go and do something and they would say, they would sit next to a river or the ocean perhaps. And they would say, uh, this is cathartic. Uh, this, this lets me clean. This is like cleaning my mind out, cleaning my spirit out. So they would use the word catharsis or cathartic. Uh, this is unclean spirit, acatharsis, uh, uh, acathartos. You can hear it. Acathartos. It's in there. Uh, you can hear the word, the stem word in there, uh, catharo, catharo, um, and you can hear cathyro means to clean. It's actually, it's, it means to, to, it's talking about ritual, ritual purity, uh, where you see this in the book of Leviticus, ritual purity to cleanse things. And that doesn't just mean wash. That doesn't just mean scrub. Uh, doesn't mean declutter. There is a, it's a prescribed ritual, uh, ritualistic cleansing. Now as apostolics, we're kind of, we don't really like the term ritual or ritualistic. And we understand, I understand, but this is, it is a fairly accurate term when you, when you're trying to describe what was prescribed by God in Leviticus. If you do this kind of sin, it's this kind of offering. If you, if it's this kind of sin, it's this kind of offering. And uh, for the day of atonement, it's this kind of offering. And for, uh, we read about it out of, out of Leviticus, um, there's a goat, that is for the Lord. And then there's a goat that's a scapegoat and it's this kind of offering. And so there's prescribed worship and prescribed cleansing, purification. In fact, the day of atonement is one of those kind of days. It brings everything back to a pristine state, a cleansed state. And now we go forward from the day of atonement into the new year, into the new decade, into, in some cases, into a Jubilee year out of the day of atonement. And so there is a prominent place as prescribed by God for ritual purity or ritual cleanliness. So when we're talking about cleanliness, this is not just, uh, it's not just talking about spiritual hygiene. There is a process. uh, There is a, uh, there is a, 
a process, a ritual of I do this and I do this and I do this. And this is acceptable to the Lord. This is acceptable to the Lord. We wash in this manner. We offer this sacrifice and this is acceptable to the Lord. And I have to do it in this prescribed manner. So when we talk about, when we hear about unclean spirits in the New Testament, there is something in that notion that indicates the lack of ritualistic cleansing. This is not, when we say ritualistic, we don't mean mere ritual, but we mean ritual as God prescribes it. Uh, The chief apostolic ritual is repent. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In other words, there's, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it this way. This is not just however you want to do it. You have to do it this way. So, kathairo, uh, this, is, this is cleansing. It's also an agricultural term. Um, it's an agricultural term that indicates walking through a garden and trimming, clipping, pruning vines that are unruly, limbs, branches that are unruly, um, and making everything come into a, into a designed order. Nothing just gets to grow chaotic. This is one of the, by the way, this is one of the descriptions of the demonic that is chaotic. God is dealing with chaotic things and bringing chaotic things into order. He's bringing things out of the demonic and into the divine divine order. Um, so this is part of what you're supposed to understand when you read the New Testament, when it talks about unclean spirits, spirits that have not gone through ritual cleansing, or if we're talking about it in an agricultural sense, by the way, I think the best sense is to say that it's talking about the, uh, the ritualistic cleansing. But I think the other applies also where we're talking about it from an agricultural sense, no, wait a second. Things have just gone unchecked, wild, without trimming, without pruning, without cleaning. Uh, this is not subject. This person's spirit is not subject to spiritual authority. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. So this is this is part of what, when you read about an unclean spirit, this is part of what you're supposed to pick up, that there are things that can be fixed with pruning, with with trimming, with clipping back. And there are things that can be fixed, demonic things that can be dealt with effectively through ritualistic purification or cleansing. Uh, but this is, uh, this is not katharo, but akathartos. It is unclean, akathartos, unclean, untrimmed, unkept, uncultured. Um, so uh, this carries with it, you can see, you can see that the the similarity to the Old Testament idea of goat demons, satyrs, um, that it's it's uh, it's untrimmed, it's wild, it's uncultured, it's unruly, uh, uncontrolled. But the best, probably the best way to understand it, it's unclean. It has not gone through the prescribed thing that God has set up for it to go through. So this eventually gets to the place where somebody is more defined by the work that has not gone on to maintain that person being made in the image of God. And they've become possessed by an unclean spirit demonion. This is part of the 
the range of things that describe demonic activity. So let me close. Uh, I guess we'll close with this. Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 43. I don't know if we'll close with this. This is just an example. It says, when the unclean spirit, uh, uh, akathartos is the one that's used there. When, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. Listen to that. Dry places. Desert is what it, the way it was talked about in the Old Testament. Through dry places. Seeking rest. That's what Lilith, she was looking for a place to rest. And findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty and swept and garnished. In other words, he left it and he's the chaos. And when he comes back, everything is in order. And he moves back in and the disorder loves to move back into a place that has order. And then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. So uh, this is this is part of what we're supposed to understand about an unclean spirit. It's linked back to the description of those Old Testament goat-like demons, screech owl demons, things that dwell in dry places, uh, that howl, that are unkempt, that are uh, that are wild unruly. So uh, this is all three synoptic gospels use the term unclean spirit. And uh, this is one of the most prominent ways that the demonic is described. So probably, and we've mentioned this already, and this is where we'll close, probably the most prominent way or the most prominent story uh, is the one that's most commonly called the wild man of Gadara. And you can read about this in Matthew chapter five, uh, the wild man of Gadara, the story seems to embody everything that is demonic in character. It picks up every part of the demonic character that we've been talking about. Uh, it, it picks up the spirit of multiplicity, that demons don't just hang out by themselves. Uh, well, what we just read out of Matthew's gospel, he comes back with seven more wicked than he uh, they don't just hang out by themselves. It's like, it's like a, it's a pack or it's, it's a cabal of some sort where they're hanging out together. They live together. They possess together. This is a characteristic that we see in the wild man, uh, what is classically called the wild man of Gadara, because he is possessed by uh, the, when the spirit speaks, it says it calls itself legion because we are many. We are many. And uh, so that's one of the characteristics. The other, another characteristic is that the restlessness of the man that is possessed. Uh, he's, it, there's no rest. He's crying day and night. Um, people have tried to tame him and he's broken fetters and he's broken chains and none could tame him. Uh, and, and a lot had gone on that he, he'd broken all of these things. It, there's a restlessness to this man. And he lives in desolate places. He it, Scripture says that he comes out of the tombs. So it's not just desolate and it's not just lifeless. It's, it's absolutely dead. This is where the dead go. They go to the tombs. And um, they. this is the characteristic of demons. Uh, boy, there's an Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they talk about death and the tomb and the grave um, in, this, in this category of thinking. So this is demons like to dwell in the wilderness. And this man has been driven not just into the wilderness, but into the tombs. He is living in death before he's dead. So the demons, uh, another characteristic, they like animals. Uh, this is this fits with the description of the Old Testament. Screech owls, satyrs, etc. 
And when these demons are cast out, they said uh, in one, one of the gospels, it says, don't send us into the deep. Uh, and so Jesus, they asked, can we go into the swine? And Jesus said, yeah, go into the swine. And they go into the swine and the swine run down. This is very classic. Uh, almost every preacher has preached from this. Uh, so they want to possess an animal. They, whatever, they're looking for a place to rest. Um, they don't want to be disembodied is the word that, that some scholars are using now. Uh, let me just read the first couple of verses in this. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, when Jesus was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs. Here it is. They're going to use the term uh, akathartos, a man with an unclean, akathartos, an unclean spirit, akathartos pneuma, a man with an unclean spirit. This man is unkempt. He is um, so wild. There's no clothes. He is wild. I, he, he comes running to him out of the tombs. Uh, this is, and, and everyone knows the rest of this story. Jesus confronts this spirit, legion, many spirits, casts them out. They go into the swine, the swine run down the hill. And then scripture gives us the photo, the picture of this man sitting there with Jesus. And it uses, it uses a very important term clothed and in his right mind. In other words, that which is wild, that which is demonic, that is, which is unclean has been brought back into the right pattern, into the right way of thinking, the right way of living. Uh, so this is, this is an important thing. It came out of that, which was wild and it came into that, which is tamed and that, which is cultured. Uh, so this is, this is part of how we're supposed to understand the demonic. Now I want to talk about, get very practical, at least practical, as far as I know, as far as I'm able to speak, uh, a number of times I've been around, um, situations that were demonic. Uh, I remember on a particular occasion, I was selling a particular product and we came to a door and a man walked out and looked at me. I'd been fasting. The man walked out and looked at me and my partner. And he said, I've been expecting you today. And he looked right at me when he said it. I was a kid. And it, it, uh, to tell you that it didn't scare me would be to lie. And I stepped back from him. And, um, and I watched as he uh, did some things with my partner, not, not, uh, wicked or ungodly. Well, it was ungodly, but not, he just did, he and my partner made some kind of a spiritual connection there. It was, it was odd. Another, there are another few examples. I'll just give you one, but we're talking about the presence of spiritual authority. Oh, to, to go back to this man, he said, he looked at me and he said, are, do you feel tired? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, what are you? And I told him at that time, I was very young, but I still told him that I was a preacher and a Pentecostal preacher. And that stopped him. That stopped him from making any kind of physical contact with me. Um, he, he wanted what he wa was wanting to do was grab my hands, but that stopped him. 
And he was able to do that with my partner and began to get some kind of influence over my partner. And we were, fortunately, we were able to break away. And both of us talked about how odd that was. And my partner just thought it was weird. I thought it was demonic. It was demonic. Another instance that immediately comes to mind here in our church, our local church, there was a young man who came to church that um, was participating with the demonic. If he was not possessed, he was participating with the demonic. And he came to, um, he came to our altar. And uh, I, I can't give too many details because I don't know who all will see this, but he began to do some things in the altar that were, um, they were not, we weren't okay with them. And I walked down and this is, this is just the presence of spiritual authority does something. And I was able to walk down and I made eye contact with him. I got very close to him and I made eye contact with him. And I said, listen, this is not going to work here. And I'm, I'm kind of dressing up the way I spoke, but this is not going to work here. We're going to do this, this, and this, and I want you to stop immediately. Um, and he did, he did. And we were able eventually to pray that young man through and baptize him in Jesus name. Another occasion we had a man come, this is demonic. It's demonic. It's, it's, it's come to bring chaos. And he came and told me that he was supposed to get up and speak to the church. And I said, uh, no, not going to get up and speak to the church. And he said, well, should I obey God or man? I said, well, around here, you're going to obey me. That's there. And, and he did, he did. This is spiritual authority. And there was more to these conversations, just the presence of spiritual authority. Just when, uh, just the fact that spiritual authority can walk into the room a lot of times can quell the demonic to a certain level. Now there are other times when we've absolutely had to lay hands on somebody or we've absolutely had to speak to demonic, uh, situations. Um, and I've never had to call them by name, but we have spoken to them and absolutely broken chains. So sometimes that spiritual authority has to be ramped up. This is the answer. This is always the answer to the demonic because the demonic is unruly. The demonic is unruly. Uh, it is wild by nature. But the presence of spiritual authority doesn't just quell. It absolutely defeats the demonic. It defeats the demonic. It, and this happens through preaching. This happens through the worship of a church. This happens through prayer. Jesus said uh, to his disciples, this kind cometh out uh, only by prayer, by much prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting defeats it. And this is how you and I are supposed to approach. We're not supposed to approach the demonic with fear. We've got the power of the Holy Ghost. We're supposed to approach the demonic with spiritual authority. So we've got to have spiritual authority in our life, and then we've got to operate in spiritual authority. So this is how we're supposed to understand, at least in part, this is how we're supposed to understand the demonic, and at least in part, this is how we're supposed to deal with it. This is how we wrestle against, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and uh, the rulers of uh, the darkness of this world and wickedness and, high, and spiritual wickedness in high places. This is how we do it. And that's how Paul said, you put on the whole armor and you pray and you pray. And that praying is not just, that's not just our daily habit. That is the interaction with spiritual authority, with divine power. This is how we're supposed to deal with it. I can't wait till we can get together again. We'll see you next time on All Things Apostolic. God bless.